Annenberg Media. This is the Annenberg Learner Podcast, where we aim to elevate the education profession through conversations that inspire, recognize, and encourage innovation and best practices in the field. We track the lived experience of teachers, students, and parents alongside the ecosystem that serves them. Guest speakers will share what's working and the steps we can take to reimagine and redesign teaching and learning for our most vulnerable populations. Welcome to another episode of the Annenberg Learner Podcast. Today, we welcome Mr. Luis Saltos. Luis Saltos is a computer science teacher at Daniel Carter Beard Junior High School 189. He has been teaching for 15 years where he previously taught mathematics. He is a Math for America master teacher and is currently in his 13th year in the program. For the past three years, he has been teaching computer science with an emphasis on video game design. Luis received his BA in Mathematics Education and Master's of Science in Education from Queens College at CUNY. Luis was introduced to us through learner partner Games for Change, an organization that empowers game creators and social innovators. Games for Change offers programs and events for people of all ages and backgrounds to explore, learn, and create at the intersection of games and social impact. Welcome, Mr. Saltos. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Uh, Nancy. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Uh, Luis is uh, signing in from his classroom today. So we're really excited to have this time with him during his busy schedule. So let's dive in. Tell us about your involvement with the Games for Change Student Challenge. What has that experience been like for you? Well, I got involved with Games for Change, I think about three years ago, right before the pandemic started in 2020. And um, we were doing work in the classroom. Students were really excited, and then the pandemic happened. But I felt really ready to go remote because a lot of the work that we were doing was already on the computer. I think I was able to make that transition fairly in fairly easy, and, and I wish I was there to support my students in person. But we did with whatever we could remotely. Um, but I think it's been great um, to be able to provide the students with, um, with, with this space for them to work on computing pro- uh, problems through the perspective of video game design. Um, I feel like students came to the realization that video game design is not as easy as playing video games. And I feel like whenever... <laughs> students uh, see my class and it's a tech class, it's a coding class, it's a video game design class and it's like yeah, it's just going to be super easy and it's like, no, it's not and then you'll see that it, it, it's a lot of troubleshooting and mm-hmm. perseverance and a lot of failing, a lot of uh, making mistakes in class but I think um, one of the things that students experience through working with the games in, in the Games for, games for Change student challenge is to go and, and adopt a growth mindset. And it really makes me happy as a teacher to see them go from, this is too hard, or I'm not good at this, to, oh, this is hard, but I'm going to try anyway. Or this may take some type of effort. So the experience has been really rewarding for me to provide the students with the opportunity to be in this Games for Change student challenge. 
You can subscribe to the Annenberg Learner Podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's great. And um, what is that timeline like? So these are students that you have in your classroom and they're competing with a larger audience. How does that work? They do. At first, we started my classroom. I see my students for the entire year. We started the work in September. And then in the past, we first, we tried to do our work, our planning. There's a planning stage that it's only on paper or try to show them a little bit of the, the design process, going from making aluminum foil boats to see which design will hold uh, most pennies in, uh, in water, you know, and see what works, what doesn't, what can be changed. So we have a period of from September, October until April when the deadline is for submitting the game. Got it. And what are, what have been some of the games that you've had your students work on? Um, what have they created? Last year, I was the first year that I used Minecraft Education Edition mm-hmm. as a way to support the students as the platform to create the games. Minecraft Education Edition is, um, is a sandbox and it's a 3D world and the students can create, destroy, build, mine for resources. They can use something called the agent. Can, you can code the agent to do any task you want. Um, using block-based coding and text-based coding. So it can be, there is a, a low entry level, but it can be more complex. It has a high ceiling. So it was, um, I had one of my students who took this to really another level, um, creating, using the agent or coding the agent to build buildings and factories in this world. So that in the game, a player can go and get rid of coal plants mm-hmm. and dirty energy um, resources and transform them into clean energy. And at the end of the game, if, we, if the player was able to accomplish these tasks, then the player will get a self-sustaining house. I've also used Scratch and Scratch it's very popular and also uses block-based coding. This was during the pandemic, and the name of the game was Pandemic Bullying. The, you know, this was an impact game, and, and the game was um, titled Bullies Are Not Welcome. The students created a clicker game. So you had to click the bully to... And when they encounter the bully, they will have to like click on the bully, and, and there were different options to teach them to get better to not um, bully other people and to send a good message. If I remember correctly, the, there's a, a social theme for these games every year. Is that yes, right? that's and, correct. Um, so you mentioned one around uh, the environment or clean energy, and then this other one around wellness and bullying. Uh, what have been some other themes that you've worked on with your students? So usually there are three themes per year. What I've found, it was, as a, as a teacher, as an educator, it was easier for me to just focus on one theme during one year to say, okay, everyone, this is our theme. We selected the theme and this is where we're going to focus on. So I don't remember exactly what the other themes were because I did not um, work in, in, in depth with those um, And what uh, is themes. the theme for this year? I have <laughs> not selected a theme. I have not selected a theme yet. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to it. 
As part of its mission to advance excellent teaching in American schools, Annenberg Learner funds and distributes educational video programs with coordinated online and print materials for the professional development of K-12 teachers. Many programs are also intended for students in the classroom and viewers at home with videos that exemplify excellent teaching. K-12 educators, students, and lifelong learners may access Annenberg Learner resources for free at learner.org. Please note, rights restrictions may limit the availability of some series. For the latest information about learner programming and availability, sign up for the Annenberg Learner newsletter at learner.org. Um, something that you said earlier about the low barrier and high ceiling reminds me just ab about the richness of problems that allow students of all levels to access it. How does that show up in your classroom outside of the Games for Change Challenge in your teaching of computer science? I'd like to give confidence to my students that they can do the work. When they come into my classroom, you don't need to be an expert. I don't need you to be an expert in computer science in order to feel like you're a member of the class, in order for you to feel as a student, right? This idea of perfection out the window. I don't need it. I don't need you to be perfect. Um, and I feel like very often perfection, it's so pervasive that I can only do something if I'm perfect at it. But how are you going to get perfect at it if you don't make mistakes first? If you don't make mistakes in the thing that you are trying to learn? I tell my students over and over that I don't need you to be perfect. I need you to try. And I talked about this before in, in other ways. One of my students, um, a student who uh, has a special needs, made me so happy when he said, Mr. Santos, um, this is hard, but I'm going to try it anyway. You summed up my entire year. Like my philosophy, you, you summed it up. Like that's exactly what I mean. This is hard, but I'm going to try. I'm going to fail and I'm going to try again. And, um, being able to have a low entry level, I think it gives confidence to the students to say, I can do this. And I think coding, especially with Minecraft, Minecraft Education Edition, it's so good because it's the hook that allows students to, hmm, I can do this. Now, let me try a more complex problem. I can do it until the problems start getting more challenging and challenging. And I think it, it gives them hope. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's beautiful. So, so you were previously a math teacher and the, what you just described looks very different in math, I think, <laughs> and maybe mm -hmm. it's harder to do. I'm not sure. What caused you to transition from math to CS? And then how do you apply those principles of growth mindset and trying um, in the math classroom? For the last couple of years, I have not been teaching math, but I do tutor um, outside of a school and I still do math. I love mathematics. Um, I'm a lifelong learner of mathematics. Uh, I like to read about it. And my first CS course that I took, like took me from math to computer science was um, on a curriculum called Bootstrap Algebra. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, uh, but it's also a video game design curriculum that has a heavy emphasis on the mathematics, the functions, the coordinates behind the video game design. So that's how I started. And I, during my regular math class, 
especially after the state test. When the students took this uh, state test and I had some extra time and after I attended this workshop, I was, you know what, let's give it a try uh, to this. Let's see, let's see how it goes. And the students loved it. I loved it. I felt uh, the students were really excited to to see how math could be applied to something that they do on a, maybe on a daily basis, which is video games. And then I asked my principal if we can start with a computer science course in our school. And my principal agreed. And it's been like three or four years since I've been fully teaching a computer science course. And it's mainly focused on video game design. But to, to the other point that you mentioned about how it's similar in mathematics education, and my, my feeling is like it can be very similar to that low entry level. And also in math, usually you, you hear like there's only one correct answer. There's only one right answer. And yeah. if you don't get it right, then you're wrong. And that's the other myth that I would like to get rid of. Like you don't need to be expert in, in my math class or computer science or in any field in order for you to be part of the class. That we can meet you where you are and build, build it up from there. The Annenberg Foundation is a family foundation that provides funding and support to nonprofit organizations in the U.S. and globally. The foundation is dedicated to addressing the critical issues of our time through innovation, community, compassion, and communication. To learn more, go to annenberg.org. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so I, well, I guess the, the last time I checked in, the, the um, numbers of CS teachers are not where we need them to be. And um, I'm curious, is this, is the class that you're offering, is it an elective? Um, what did your, it sounds like you have a, a great leader that allowed you to, to do that and make this accessible to students. How do you continue to learn in your practice? And what has it been like um, at your school to now have CS? I imagine it didn't exist before. It did not exist before. Um, in, I, I teach in a junior high school. It's in a sixth through eighth uh, school. In, at least in our school, they don't. It's not an, a true elective. Like the, I, I get the students that are scheduled to be with me, mm-hmm. so they don't really have a choice in, in 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 that matter. But I think there is a great buy-in from the student population, from the parents, mm-hmm. from the, my administration to grow the program. And if you can remind me of the second part of the question, please. Yeah, a little bit about your principles that allowed this to happen and helped you make that transition. Can you speak to that a little bit about the leadership at your school? It's been really great. I have the support. And if I need to attend workshops to help me, I attend the workshops through CS for All. There's a program in New York City called CS for All. And for, for as many years, I've been part of it. Um, taking workshops and leading workshops as well. Also through Math for America, that also accepts uh, computer science teachers. And I get, I attend workshops and get resources from other uh, Math for America master teachers as well. I'm a math, a math person. I went to college and I studied mathematics and I studied computer science very little, not as much as I did math. So I feel like I it's my own homework and my own growth to to make sure that I try to get better in computer science concepts to be able to help my students better. But I wouldn't be able to do it without the support of my administration. 
That's great. So you mentioned uh, about studying math and CS. Can you tell us what your own K-12 educational journey, what was that like for you? So um, I'm originally from Ecuador. So I studied up to a certain grade in uh, secondary education in Ecuador. And then I came to New York. So the the education journey is so, so big. But one of the things that I can say is when I was a kid, I always liked math. Like I always, mm-hmm. I got excited if I learned a concept and I remember learning how to count to a hundred in kindergarten or pre-K and I was very excited about it. But when I learned how to divide numbers, I got excited about that. And then when I was here, when I was learning calculus, I was like very proud and to be able to, to do some of that work. So I feel like I've been very blessed to, to have people who have helped me, teachers, good teachers to, to help me foment uh, this love for mathematics before college, during college. Like as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a teacher. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> okay, great. And um, what keeps you in the profession? What excites you about your work? I really love teaching. I love making my uh, difference in my students' lives to see their reaction when they finally understand a concept and they get it. That aha moment is so invaluable to, again, to hear students say things like, this is hard and I'm going to try it anyway. It fills my heart. It's amazing to be able to make a difference in young um, people and young students and to see what they can achieve later on. And what is most challenging about your work? I think one of the things that are most challenging is um, sometimes the use of uh, phones in class. It doesn't matter how um, how good the lesson is or the activities. I feel like if phones are on the table and they were to be allowed in, in the class, I can win that battle. Hmm. So I feel like sometimes, I know there are ways of using um, mobile technology in the classroom that is so good to use but I think sometimes technology can be distracting and I think going back to roots and doing work on paper making design on paper and make draw right now if you take a look at my classroom I have color pencils markers paper on my desk because my that's what my students do to to draw their code and and I feel like just making that connection is leaving the technology out for a moment, I think it's good for, for learning. I think another thing that could be challenging too is I think we need um, education is the school, the students and the administration, also the parents. If, um, I feel sometimes if um, to take a, um, um, a bigger role in the education and to support along with the teachers uh, to support the children at home, it would be uh, invaluable. Uh, thank you. And um, where do you see yourself in the next three to five years? Here, I would like to continue teaching. Um, but I, I also want to become a tennis coach. So oh. if I could do that, uh, if I can do that as well, I'd like to have a, a, a tennis uh, program with the students here. Sure. I'm a very passionate tennis player and I don't want to keep it for myself and I would not, I would like to be able to um, help other children with um, learning how to play tennis. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And, and the school doesn't currently have a program, I assume? 
We don't have, but I have the support from my principal. Again, my principal doesn't say no. I asked him. He said, if you give me the commitment at the time that you can do it, I'll sign it. Um, but unfortunately, like I have my, like just the commitments after work don't allow me to stay a um, certain number of hours after school. So yeah, but maybe in the future. In yeah, the future. That, that'll be amazing. You'll be the math, computer, science, tennis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> teacher. <laughs> That's awesome. The Annenberg Learner Podcast is supported in part by Abre. Get real-time insights into what's working and what's not with K-12's number one modern data solution, Abre. Learn more today at abre.io. That's A-B-R-E dot Just to shift gears a little bit, what are you reading, watching, or listening to these days? Um, I just started reading a book called Things to Do and Make in the Fourth Dimension oh. by Matt Parker. And again, I saw this book and one of my um, MFA, the Math for America, um, um, has a library and I saw that book and it caught my attention. And I just started reading it, but it's, um, it's uh, the author is a stand-up comedian and mathematician. And one of his goals is to make math fun. Um even though math is counterintuitive and hard and, and it's almost like that's the point. Like it's, it's, it's so challenging, so abstract that it's difficult, but that's part of the beauty of it. And perhaps sometimes the way that we learned it, the way that we teach math, it's not, um, the most attractive to students. And maybe there are some facts and things that we can show them to make math more fun. Yeah. So I also finished. I just, I'm, I'm a Lord of the Rings uh, fan. So I finally got a chance to watch, um, the new series on Amazon Prime, Lord of the Rings, The Power of the Rings. Yeah. So I was so happy to, to see that, to learn the story behind the age when Lord of the Rings happened. Thank you for sharing those. And is there anything else that you would like to share with our uh, learner audience? And this includes, um, teachers uh, with a range of experience from five to 12 plus years? Yeah, I, I would I would say that um, something that I would, like to, I would like to share is that really game design has a distinct potential to, to drive this youth interest and engagement in computer science and other STEM fields. Um, it's a game, it's a powerful tool for activating uh, these 21st century, uh, SEL skills, empathy, cooperation, communication, problem solving, and systems thinking. Um, that it was a great tool during remote learning and game design is something worthwhile and engaging for a student during a time when it was difficult to be engaged, especially on the computer. And, um, that if the students can learn how to troubleshoot, game design allows for uh, troubleshooting. And if they can take that concept from, from the classroom to anything else in their life, that will be a success. And if you can give your students or if you can give yourself that opportunity, then it will be worthwhile. 
The Annenberg Learner Podcast joins the catalog of multimedia professional learning content to support educators teaching in more effective ways. Annenberg Learner is the education division of the Annenberg Foundation. Learner supports the foundation's mission to encourage the development of more effective ways to share ideas and knowledge. Go to learner.org or contact us at podcast at learner.org.